It's the eve of Gehenna, and all hell is about to break loose. The Sabbat are sweeping the East Coast, and ancient canines rise from Torvor. White Wolf celebrated their revised edition of Vampire the Masquerade with a classic clan novel saga. Now, that celebrated collection has been beautifully reprinted by Crossroad Press. Collect all 13 officially licensed novels and revisit the world of darkness you remember so fondly. Check out the Dark Ages reprints, too. Go to CrossroadPress.com, Amazon, and other major retailers for paperback and ebook. That's CrossroadPress.com. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name's Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, I'm just stumbling over everything today. How are you today, Bob? Not stumbling. Doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were just complaining because our internet's, uh, our, our collective internet ability to see one another sucks. We're just going to try to work real hard to get this one taken care of. So um, I got some things to go over before we start the review. We do. Yeah, and uh, some people like when we do this, some people don't. I don't really care. I think these are things that we need to get out of the way. Um, because we have people that support us. And uh, first and foremost, I wanted to give out those thank yous for the people that have joined us on Patreon. And uh, did you did you get the list? I did. I did. Cool. Um, well, I don't know how you would like to do it, but uh, I'll, we could just take turns or I could do them all. I don't care. We've taken a poll. Everybody loves your voice. Oh. So <laughs> that's what it is. Like, I'm here. Great content guy. He's awesome. No one hates me. But your voice is awesome, so I'll just Nobody leave that to them. Me. Well, Bob, I like your voice, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you to all the people that joined us. Um, this is actually a couple of months because we kind of fell behind. We had some things happen in the background. But um, first and foremost, I would like to thank Clayton T. Bulliard, uh, Ryan Stark, Andrew Menefee, Elijah Davis, Arturo Monroy, Jason Robinson, Lee Tate, Patrick McCann, Christophe Jacques, uh, Ultraviolet Sasquatch, who is my close personal friend, <laughs> Kermo Lashecki. I hope I pronounced that correctly or somewhere close to near correct. That's what's great about this. They get the Midwest accent. It's golden. Right. It's Kermo golden. Lashecki, how you doing? Come on down, have a beef sandwich. Uh, John Blakemore, Nigel Cavanaugh, Ingmar Scalander, Brian J. Sanderson, Matt Bell, Josh and SL128. All of you have uh, recently joined us on Patreon. Thank you for your support. And if you guys want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. That was a mouthful. SL128 is my favorite AI, by the way. (laughs) What a weird thing to say. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, on that note, 
Uh, we got an email recently from someone who listens to us asking a question. Um, and if you're cool with it, I'll go ahead and I'll read that now. I am absolutely ice cold. Okay. Uh, the uh, person that sent the email, his name is Adam Gao. He says, first, I would just like to say that I've been a massive fan of the 25 Years podcast in the three months since I first came across it and started listening. So you're what we call a noob, just slightly. But thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody comes in their own time. <laughs> uh, you and Bob provide a fascinating insight into the setting of Vampire the Masquerade and how it was developed since its founding and have given me new perspective on clans and sects I otherwise might have overlooked due to common misconceptions. I was wondering if you and Bob have any plans to review and discuss the Victorian Age vampire setting books. As to my recollection, they've never been mentioned on the podcast, even in discussions concerning what content you will review following the conclusion of the Vampire the Masquerade and Dark Ages vampire reviews. There were few releases in the series, but I've always found them particularly interesting in concept, uh, considering the era is well-suited for gothic horror, being the time of Dracula and Jack the Ripper, as well as an excellent period for exploring class divide, especially among kindred. Um, so that's basically the, the large and small of the email. So, Bob, I pose you the question. Will we review Victorian Age Vampire? We will. And here's the, here's the dangerous statement about making that um, we have a lot of projects, a lot. Uh, that were that were lining up plenty of work for us uh, to kind of go through, and that's a that's a specialty niche. It mm-hmm. really is. Yes, it is vampire, so that comes first. That's we've said that since the beginning, and so we will get there. But there are um, there are a couple things to note about the Victorian age that we I, I want to make sure we hammer. Number one, that that romanticized feel of the Victorian age. I don't want to just Nate and Bob through it. It's a review, yes, but at the same time, I have to my my counterpart does not have the the patience to sit through something that's going to be a rendition of Mary Shelley's very best. Right. Right? It's just not it's not going to happen out of Nate. I, I know that limitation. So there has to be a way he and I can coordinate to come up with a feel that's still 25 years, but at the same time will capture fans like yourself, Adam, and me uh, to understand the Victorian age and its significant impact about how we play it now and its definite impact to how people LARP. It's, yeah. it's everything in that regard. Well, and I know uh, the Victorian age, there are only like three slash four official releases. Um, So um, I I honestly feel like just from a general like review perspective, um, it's probably something that will come close to the end of the Vampire the Masquerade run. Of course, we're going to review them. The goal of this podcast has become that we review everything World of Darkness related. Um, so once the vampire stuff, once the dark ages gets done or once we get close to it, I would say within like eight weeks of being finally done with dark ages, Bob and I will probably touch base and decide what is up next for the review. But because there's so few of those books, um, I feel like it would either be better suited for just, uh, like maybe a, like a longer form podcast, right? Like we just review all of them like we did with the early, um, first edition books, you know, just give like a real in-depth look at Victorian age vampire and just sort of summarize, give a short review of all the books. I think that would probably be a better option than dragging it out to three or four episodes, but you know, who knows? It depends really what kind of feedback we get, but I, I feel like it's safe to say yes, our intent is to review those in some capacity. Um, 
And it's also weird too because there's like one of those Dark Ages books is like a um, Kindred of the East book. So, or one of those uh, Victorian Age vampire books is a Kindred of the East book. So it's kind of like weird how that would fit in, anyways. So we'll probably right. just just lump it into the full uh, the full release. Agreed. Yeah. So so that's what we're looking at. Um, and it's interesting that this email came right now because the Transylvania Chronicles four kind of has. <laughs> right some 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 uh victorian age stuff in it as well uh one last thing i just want to um just read through real quick um for people who are playing v5 people who are interested in v5 and don't spend all of their time on the internet um looking for the news on v5 are you still there bob yeah i'm still here okay okay. i just saw a little dinky thing on your mic that said you were muted but no big deal uh okay well i I just want to go over this this is like some uh some releases um some release news that uh modifius has given us it doesn't have any information about like the onyx path stuff obviously onyx path is developing their own material so it wouldn't have anything to do with this but um they have released a news uh uh, press release that says the fall of London is in development currently, and it will be the first official chronicle for Vampire the Masquerade fifth edition. And it's being produced by Modifius Entertainment. This is not news; this is stuff we already knew. But they go on to say London is burning as the Second Inquisition puts the city's kindred to the torch. Your characters wake from torpor. The sensible thing would be to flee now, but before you can leave the capital, you have one last job to do. So it sounds like the fall of London, as they further extrapolate. Uh, it's a campaign, and they say it's perfect to bring your vampire players up to speed on the plot developments in Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition or as a gateway for new players. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, is going to be included in that, but um, I'm excited to see. Uh, even though it is a campaign, uh, which I'm not super hyped on, um, it hopefully will be some decent information about more stuff going on in the world of darkness. Um you know, post V5. So, um, well, it sounds like they're going to, what that has to be is they're going to dig into probably the fall of Queen Anne and how that rolls out. Yeah. More likely. And then to understand who the, well, the man of the hour is, you know, we know Mithras isn't that everyone. Right. That's no secret. So it's probably going to deal with that too. And I think that will be the detail that fans are really looking for. Yeah. So, and then there's um, some more information. It says coming on its heels is the Vampire the Masquerade Fifth Edition Player's Guide, which I am like much more excited for uh, because I think that's going to help people immensely. Uh, an essential guide containing additional information on clans, disciplines, new tools, plus some excellent playing advice and alternative ways to play. And finally, an overview of all thirteen kindred clans in one place, which I find to be the most exciting news yet. Uh, <laughs> Find out everything you need to know, how to play your best V5 game yet, and last but not least, uh, Modifius is working on the Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition starter set, which is aimed at your friends who want to get started as storytellers. It's the perfect choice for those wanting to dip their fingers into the Masquerade without purchasing the core books. The starter set will contain an abridged rulebook, a starter chronicle that will teach you how to run and play the game as you go, dice, pre-generated characters, and everything you need to get your first V5 chronicle on the way. So uh, that's very awesome to me. Um, it looks like they're going to hit stores in February of 2020. Um, and then it says the Fall of London and Vampire Player's Guide will be available in advance PDF by Christmas. So very cool. Uh, you know, we're not we're not being sponsored by Modifius or anything like that. I just thought that this was fairly important and pertinent news to our podcast. So might be uh, worth uh, other people hearing. 
Like Modiphius. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> you know, uh, free press shame. is free press, right? But come on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I guess let's get into uh, some Transylvania Chronicles, shan't we? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, how, do, how do we start this book? Um, uh, it looks ironically, as, ironically I have an idea. Okay. Go ahead. Right. Uh, so, first off, the lineup is entirely different from the previous book. And what I mean by that is it's, it's explanations to the content mm-hmm. are more relevant. They're more to the point, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is they tell you off the bat, hey, stupid, last time you said this beginning stuff, you kind of skip through, but it's, it actually contains the updates. In the, like, the clans update what happened with the players. Right. Between then to now. And what's interesting about that, how they put it is, is that the assumption was you were running your whole story with all this stuff going on. Right. And you may be thinking, duh, guys, it's a module that's going through the ages. You should have known that. And to to an extent, we did. Here's the thing. We would need another podcast to go over every individual clan to let (laughs) you to let you know what's going on. Right. That's the honest truth. And so when you look here to see what's going on with uh, your favorites across the clans it's not the pcs right. that are the focus and we are focused on the pcs so so make it in short um basically all that tumult that's been happening in transylvania um your pcs are assumed to be living the life their sts ascribed to it so they leave no attachments to what you could have had going on so instead they give you all the stuff happening to other vampires that may pull them in according to your chronicle right so they leave that an open door for you to decide and fill in but then they add in then we get into what we got going on in this book. So where it starts is where you'll have it, but they intend everything to kick off in the Victorian era. Yeah, yeah, 1897 to be to be exact. Um, and it's basically it's smack dab in the middle of, uh, you know, right after the release of, of of Dracula by Bram Stoker. Like it's it's very much they're they're putting you in that world uh, without pulling mention- any punches. Can I mention one seed in an update yeah. that I thought was hysterical? It immediately made me think of you because it was all the t- Remember how we were always thinking, like, how does the Sabbat have all this infernalism in it? Uh-huh. Like, all the books, like, we're infernal. Look, they're over here. Where are they infernal? Where right. the hell? Right here. It says the update to Bali is that since the Convention of Thorns, a handful of Asmin anti-tribute have allied with the cults, with cults of infernalists. Anson the Bali who converted several of them has been destroyed, but still small Kapala cults have grown stronger in the shadowy corners of Transylvania. Now, understand Transylvania was like the staging ground right. for where the Sabbat came from, and they only got more bestial as time went on. And the reason being, and they point out here, the Victorian age marks an era of civility. Right, folks are the, the arts are all in high. Vampires are now melding with mortals. They're they're getting along with the whole idea of the finer arts, the performing arts, and, and etc. And they're mimicking them in a lot of ways, right? And that's and that's what it's about. Except the Sabbat, frustrated Sabbat, you've not you've not got to win. You haven't pulled back with anything yet. Just violence, and it's gotten you nowhere. And so right. they decide the next step is to get even more violent. Right, it's like the right. new crop went where you failed. You, you weren't crushing baby heads. Right. Okay. You just didn't go there, and look at you now. So now, new plan. Forget the baby stuff. We're just going to get smash mouth with everything. Everyone's more brutal. Like big meeting where they hand out chainsaws is what it seems like. 
at least in the telling, and I'm of course <laughs> exaggerating, but that's the but that's the idea. But I had that before you because if you were ever thinking in your head, why the hell did the Sabbat get an Inquisition and and everything else, and where did that come from? Where does it say it? Actually, this book is filled with little Easter eggs like yeah, that. It does definitely mention uh, all of that uh, information here. The other thing that it mentions too, I thought this was a cool little. Uh, little thing they talk about how uh, camarilla members that are are grouped together would be called a coterie and if they're all sabat they'd be called a pack and if they're of mixed sex they'd be called a conspiracy Ooh, it's a new term <laughs> right. i've only ever read in this book but it makes sense right yep and and why are the followers of said hated in the modern and everyone says they're corruptors why are they called corruptors you wonder where their reputation comes from it comes from count jacalo he is a Sedite that ends up actually seducing, corrupting, puppeting uh, a Ventry by the name of Roland mm-hmm. uh, for a bit. And basically his machin, not directly, but that Sedite fashion, right? And he, he sort of extends this web enough to be a thorn in the side throughout the centuries. Right. So since the formation of all this Transylvania Chronicles, this Chacal has been like a footnote until recently where it's like, look what he's been doing. Aha! And it's, it's a problem. Well, the Ventru clan, as they've shown, whenever anybody messes with the Ventru, all the vampiric kind knows. Right? Have right. you noticed that? Yeah. Right. Like, how how dare Ventru- you? We, we're going to tell everybody. <laughs> right. Since right, we, we wreck Carthage, we destroy it. What happens? The Ventru come back and go, the Bruja just won't get over it. It just won't let it go. They went from being the learned clan to a clan of brutes. Why? Ask Dominic. Yeah. Right? This Bruja, right. he's such an annoyance. And then everybody's like, yeah, these guys are brutal. Yeah, they're short-sighted. Eh, they don't have an agogi at all. Whatever. And rinse, repeat. But right. at the same time, how do the other clans look badass? The Tremere team up with them. They go from being usurpers, but you team up with the Ventru, they elevate you. Yeah. At the same time, you help them, you get rewarded. They're kind of like tor- hip-hop producers. <laughs> you know what? I wondered where Suge Knight would be embraced, <laughs> and that puts it in perspective. Right, right. They're like, oh, you know, we're, we're actually not doing anything great or creative. We're just like, we have a name, and we have financial backing. Like, you stick with us, and you're, you're, you're suddenly you're, your real estate's going to rise. Man, the Tortor clans the Cardi B of the vampiric world. <laughs> I, I don't know the reference, um, <laughs> but yeah, probably. <laughs> Those who do, laughing ass off right now. Guarantee it. Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't know any of her music if I heard it. So, um, yeah. But anyways, this uh, this chapter, your your conspiracy, your potential conspiracy of of characters, um, gets summoned to Vienna, right? For sure. And uh, Vienna summoning is because well, everyone wants to be at Vienna in this time, and that right. is because it is uh, what what is Vienna? It is a massive city. Uh, that has undergone sort of its own... I, I hate to call it a renaissance, but really that's that's what it is. Because they become hyper-focused on the musical talents of the world because the very greats come out of here, right, at this time. Um, or I should say from here, not necessarily at this time exactly. It's a bit weird if they all combined in one. That'd be a conspiracy. But we're talking Beethoven, Brahms, Mozart, Mahler, Schubert, Strauss. You know, they, they're all a credit and inspiration from this city. Right. And that's what has drawn the, the height of the Tortor clan anyway. Definitely here. But remember the terrible three, as they're referred to in the, for, <laughs> for those looking at the Camarilla. It's always the Venture, Tremere, and the Torador. Right. Always. These are the three clans that since the founders founded, <laughs> uh, they came together to, of course, make a utopia 
where they exist according to their interests. The Ventru get to rule in secret, the Tordor get their mortals and their muses and their art, and the Tremere get to be left the hell alone to study their occult practices, as well as uphold the uh, civility of the other two to kind of maintain this balance. Now, Vienna's exactly that. It has, right. a, has a prince who's prince, uh, who is just a negotiator ambassador, a rare Torador. Yeah, his name is, is Prince Leopold. And what's, what's Leopold do? Uh, Leopold is a skilled politician. Um, he's not so much focused on any of the arts. He's, you know, he's not a particularly, you know, nobody knows him for his ability to paint or write music or even really to appreciate art. He is somehow able to navigate the waters between clans and keep everyone from sort of like killing each other. He's basically a peacekeeper. Right. And everyone else, uh, is trying to, these other Torador, he looks at as degenerates. Mm-hmm. Right, they say flat out all these Torador are, are everyone actually, not just Torador. Anyone who likes music, because it, it's the trend. The trend is music. The trend is operas. The trends are plays, and they're all coming to him, trying to gain permission to get domain right. in his area. And this book, this chapter alone, sets everything for if you are a live a live a LARP player or anyone who wants to actually do a realistic Camarilla City. Right. Think of it. You're the prince. What is everyone doing? Well, they want a piece of your territory. So they're coming to you, espousing how great they are and caring and look what they could do and bring. And everyone wants to sell you something, right? So if they convince you, they get their spot and huzzah, they're happy. However, you spend most of your time stalling them out. Right. Making, making reasons not to have to meet with them. It's the same tired old, this is the chilled of the chilled of giant killer. No one's, no one's yeah. trying <laughs> to talk to this guy. I got stuff to do. Honestly, that was like one of the, not to interrupt you, but that was one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at this character. Like one thing that I found that's different in this chapter so far, that's different in, from the other books that we've already read is basically every character or every oh, like antagonist has a little blurb with their character sheet. And I actually kind of don't like that um, because then I start looking at their stats and, and sort of measuring them against the other things. And I was like, dude, this prince is like 70 years old and he's kind of a pud. Like, how did this guy get to be prince? Right, but I enjoy that. Let me explain why. What they're talking about is that this dude's prince because he's a negotiator. It has nothing to do with his power. Right. He's a skilled negotiator and Clan Torador supports him. And in an era when civility was all, what but a negotiator has the power? Right. And he's keeping the Tremere venture. Well, let's explain that. What are the Tremere doing? We know what the Tordor are here for. Um, excuse me. What are the Venture doing? The Venture are attached to this emperor. Right. right? They're, right. At, they're at his hip, trying to watch, mar- watch everything he does and, and everything he'll be, because they're basically almost at his beck and call in awe of this mortal. This mortal who is no kindred, ruling the way the Venture ideals a spouse. Right. And, and so that's why they're here. However, the Tremere, Etrus has realized something. Fuck, Transylvania sucks. Like, if he keeps, <laughs> right. if he keeps this antediluvian here, someone's eventually going to get at that egg. Right. It doesn't matter. So let me move it. And he's had this grand plan where over the centuries he's slowly been building and slipping stuff into, I can't pronounce the name of the fort. It's like Fort Skriskicht. 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 I don't know. Uh, uh, uh. There's a fort he has, which he's uh, swindled uh, a guy out of building a church, right? I should explain that a little bit more. This is an example of vampiric influence in the world of darkness. Um, the emperor, someone tries to assassinate him in the middle of the street. 
That's real world. And in real world, to utter the defiance of it, basically, the morality was such was impeded such that everyone throws money to the coffers of the church to build this grand cathedral. Right. In, in, in honor, like through money at a dude to have him build something. And he goes on to build a great monument to the soldiers who have died defending uh, the emperor and, of course, his people, which is cool. However, in the world of darkness, that funding falls short. It just doesn't, do, it's nowhere near enough. And Etrus comes in and finishes the funding, but then he controls what happens to it. This is where the grand library comes from. Right. Right. They're thus able to construct this massive library, the biggest in the known European land ever. Yeah. And, it, and they have it, it. It like deviates from the real world in that regard. And they have like a little blurb there with the Vienna Chantry. Right. And that's what makes it cool. Now, I'm not going to gush like this chapter will. If you want to read what Vienna Chantry's like, it's in here. in uh, beautiful writing. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it is the first account I've ever seen where non-Tremere vampires are, you know, are let into a Chantry. And I believe it was because... Um, they just wanted to like showcase the chantry that they wrote. <laughs> like, I do, I, I do feel that, but it needed to be done. Thinking of the time this book came out, they're prep ramping up the end, right? As far as they knew it as a company, where this vampire version was done, right? So you, you need to give the fans what they wanted. Countless Tremere fans have said, "What the hell is up with Vienna?" Right. And so you had to give them something. That's where I think this whole book came from. But let me not digress. I was explaining the importance of the prince to you. Knowing those three and how powerful those factions would vie for control, he somehow is able to sit there and negotiate. He's just able to give everybody what they want in a checks and balance and keep it going. He's an example of a prince that would be a paper tiger, right? Petrus right. backs him because this guy leaves him alone. So right. he at least has the backing of the Tremere. The Venture don't mind him because he's able to keep civility and leave them to their own designs. And the Tordor love him. He's a Tordor. And they're trying to get him to just sign away domain so they can make this another Paris. Right. You know, they're trying they're still trying to trace chase that dragon a bit. But I dig I digress. I didn't mean to make that all about that. But what's interesting about this is the importance of this chapter is not necessarily who or what's in it, as much as it is the humanity aspect of it. Right. They they talked previously about the vampires turning from a uh, a vampiric thinking where everybody's kinda on a road and whatever to the to the venture going on this grand campaign to meld with the mortals to, to remain hidden. If you recall, this is harder stats, driven dream. Right. And the venture clan agreed to influence in the shadows is better. And to become like human is a better idea. You meld with them. And this is the beginning of that era where everybody starts on humanity. It's a given the clans have all on board with it. If you can really, you start there, there's, there's that is, which is cool. But to my point, when you see this prince and you think of how they're acting, they're all just basically being these people who don't... It's the haves and the have-nots. Right. On a grand scale. Unlike the French Revolution, they're not trying to kill each other over it. They're trying to outdo and outperform to show yeah. that they're worth of, worthy of it. And this is the era of Torah, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry. Bless you. <laughs> but, but why is that important? Because in this chapter, they tell you how the players would be able to get into an audience with the prince, which is dire, right? right. They, it's a purpose they have to do. We'll, we'll explain a bit. Uh, I like Nate's generalizations of all the stuff I would get distracted on anyway. Um, let's <laughs> The truth. Anyway, the players have to learn what hospitality is. And this absolutely irons home how it goes. 
says that there's no way they could get into this prince's busy schedule of these degenerates trying to beg, borrow, and plead to get this prince's attention. He has meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting lined up. However, someone, some Torador adventure puts in enough funding and money to host this entire play. Really, uh, excuse me, opera. And uh, they do it to his favorite thing, right? I forget his favorite play, forgive me. But that's uh, what I think it's a play that's that's playing, and the play in the real world was like booed on its opening night. But it but it was booed because it was like so ahead of its time. And they're like, you know, in the world of darkness, though, like all these kindred, they really get it. Like they they emphasize that they're like the the kindred get it because they're smarter. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're the future writing it, and it's <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, it's cool, right? So as this dude's distracted though in his box, and he's trying to and trying to read it. It, it says that the players, because they're elders unto themselves, may have finagled away, not only here, as this is a type of Elysium, uh, they're able to social navigate through here to get near the prince, but they have to do it socially. There is no kicking in a door. Right. There is no chopping off heads. There, there's none of that garbage. You literally have to be good enough to talk to the right people, to get to the right guy, to say the right tidbit, to get your no more than five minutes to distract this guy, this prince, to hear why you're there in the per- in the first place. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. <clears throat> oh. So, but did did we mention that uh, your your group are here pursuing more like legends and lore about the end times? Did we mention that and mention that they're they're looking for a book? No, nah, because I got to the cool stuff. I do that. I <laughs> cut to the, the cool, cool stuff. stuff. Yeah. Uh, as a basic foundation of why the characters are here, they're here after a book called the Incanabulum. Kapalam, which is a, a basically a book about Kapala. It's more Kapala stuff, so spare that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Kapala, Kapala. We all want Kapala. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, I'm not a fan of Kapala at this point. I, I'm, I'm, cu- just, I'm I, cupped out. No, it's, it's totally fine. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you're doing a very great job of, of bobbing it up. And when I say bobbing it up, I mean, Bob, you have this tendency to paint everything with a storyteller's brush, right? You go, <laughs> man... The, here's why this chapter could be so cool. Here's what I would do with it in my hands. And uh, I, I agree with you. I'd love to play in this game that you're talking about. But that's not what I'm reading here. <laughs> okay. My bad. I'll hop <laughs> no, no, no. the brakes. Please continue. But I just want to offer the alternative perspective, wherein um, I don't necessarily like this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are parts of this chapter I do like. I, I do like the forming of that. I do like the urgence of hospitality. Hospitality being immediate. Yeah. It's it's not a three month affair. It's it is up to you, you the vampire responsible for getting the attention of the prince. Not up to the harpy. Not up to the sensual. Not up to the primogen alone. It is up to you to seek them to get a hold of the prince and they to tell you how you might do that if you can convince them to give you the time of day. Right. That's how it works. And if they won't give you the time of day, how can you sneak in and talk to them? Right. Right. Without angering this, this entity. And that's based on your knowledge of the city you're in. That should be wisdom to any player anywhere trying to play a Camarilla game. Right. And that's, that's, that's lock, stock, canon on what you should do. Now, the parts I don't like in this chapter, which I will, I will let Nate more than go over if he agrees. Oh, wait. Yeah. I have one more good point. Go, go ahead. One more. Nova Arpad is an <laughs> awesome addition to this chapter. Uh-huh. They do this thing where they give you her stats, and I enjoy looking at them uh, for one reason. Shows that she's not only an architect, they show what an architect could do. If you recall, she was usurped early on in the Chronicles and tormented. 
and the Zemis had her in a dungeon, and you know they had her impersonate him, or ruling her lands and ruining her affairs. She gets, she breaks free. Chimera ally with the with the Ventru and blah blah blah, Coterie Freezer, and, and she's out again. She doesn't stop at ruining everybody who had her down. Gets her influence back, rises up stronger than ever before, and is able to do um, such a good job that here in the Victorian era, she's just out and watching the mortals. And before you think that's pointless, mm-hmm. I want to remind you this is played over centuries. <clears throat> right. This is a woman who's known the greatest of torment, the greatest of defeat, the rise of retribution, and has tempered herself to simply be a ruler. That's it. But but why'd she do it? And you sit here and you watch. They go through a beautiful chapter to describe how glorious this coffee shop is. Everyone's supposed to meet at. And Nova Arpad's just around listening to mortals. You know, listening to their complaints right. and the problems they have or they are, whatever. And she's caretaking her people. This is noblesse oblige. This is everything that the Ventures stand for. It right. is the fact that you were here to use your power to govern and care, but you were the ruler. And she is that. Right. And they even do one solid better. She doesn't care if you're Sabat, Anarch, or Camarilla. She's a ruler, and she's existed before all that mattered. And so openly, she lets you know, I accept you. You're here because you answered a summons. Let's talk. That is right. a cool statement. Because you know the typical. You know, you're, you wear your uh, sect like a shield. Right. And, you know, if you encounter, oh, you're Sabat time to die. Wait a minute. What if that dude had the same sire as you and you didn't know until now? Right, absolutely. I, I like the the concept of of um, individual characters or individual sect allegiances, not necessarily leading to immediately wanting to destroy the other. Um, but I mean, the world of darkness, uh, as far as like Vampire the Masquerade is concerned, is a world of conspiracy. So, you know, these elders conspiring with one another for a greater sort of um, resolution to something terrible that is on the horizon. I've always liked that, but like the things I don't like are, are pretty like what I don't like about this is how it, everything is very, everything's very cookie cutter, right? And everything seems to be leading up to a big, bad fight. And that's stuff that I don't like. Also, what I don't like is I, I put myself in the, in the mindset of the players, right? We, we mentioned this in the previous book. This was something that bothered me. Here you are with these characters that you've gone from like, 1197, at least, is when you were embraced, all the way up to 1880, right? You've been, mm-hmm. you've been slinging power for the better part of 650 to 700 years, right? So you're an elder. You're, you're, you're renowned in, in all corners by many elders, right? You right. still don't get no respect from a punk-ass prince who was embraced 70 years ago. <laughs> Like, mm. like that annoys me because I, I feel like if I were in that position as a player, I'd be like, I could snuff you like, you know, like now, grass. Now time out. <laughs> okay. You, you have, you have agreed to the strength and might of the Camarilla. Yeah, yes, of you, course you have I have. agreed to the traditions that keep even yourself in power. That's correct. So where if I were this prince and I went to your demence, which is immense, no doubt, Lord. And yes. no doubt when I go there, I would have to beseech you for hospitality, but be embroiled in your local politics. Of course. No, no doubt I'd have to pay them respect in order to see you. So why would it be any different coming to my demands, regardless of age or power? Here's why. Because as a member of the Camarilla, I also respect status that hypothetically would exist within, you know, I don't know these characters, right? They're fictional characters we haven't played, but I feel it would be safe to assume that most of the characters would have acquired some status and standing. Uh, within the sect, 
that would at least warrant them the respect of audience with the prince. And the way and that they go, go ahead. If we were playing with smartphones, I'd agree with you. <laughs> Fair You're enough. powerful in Eastern Europe, Transylvania. Right. This is Vienna. Sure. Right. And so where you would have some standing, i.e. when you talk to, if you talk to someone and tell them, I am Nathan Seaver. Mm-hmm. I am from Hungary. I am that Seaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. The storyteller right. running this game should go, oh, very good, sir. Oh, you have traveled far indeed. Let us go here. Remember, he gives you a home. This right. prince didn't just, you know, leave just, you with nothing. Just he the, he just gave you a place. The way that they kind of write him is just kind of like this, like, I'm unimpressed by everything. I've seen it all. I don't have time. Yeah, your elder's great. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, but is it from his arrogance or as, as I saw it and try to see it? I mean, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to alter your perception, but this is how I took it. This dude is bombarded with bullshit. Right. It wasn't a matter of him taking the time to see just you. It was, I can't push the enemies at the gate. I can't spin the plates if I stop to give you a meal. Right. Right. Cause then them plates are going to fall. Yeah, sure. It, uh, and, and to be totally honest, totally fair. What you're saying is totally fair. And that's a small gripe. My bigger gripe, though, is like the the what seems to be the massive push towards a fight in the cemetery at the end. Now, we we could skip to that. <laughs> By all means, there's there's some there's some issues. Right. Yeah. Uh, to, to be fair, I think this is literally up to the point to say for finery, for those who like fluff like myself, for those who enjoy that it's here. It's good. And it is, it is what is what is cool. Even though, to mention, we did mention this, the Tremere Chantry section yeah. is even cooler. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes it worth a read, at least, to, to get like an idea of that Tremere Chantry in the 1880s and what that's like. And it's, it's actually important for the second chapter. They have a cool character in here that I think answers the door that I just want to mention real quick. I can't remember her name, but her description, even the drawing they have of her, she has long black flowing robes Mm -hmm. when she enters the area, and her eyes are constantly staring as if she's observing uh, the outer realms. Right. Like, like she is into uh, learning about entities that do not exist in the real world. Right. They just can't. And accordingly, her whole countenance reflects this. So when she's in the room and she comes to you, her only purpose is to direct you where you have to go and then go back to her studies. Right. The impression... That you read in most most clan books and even in most games you see, the Tremere meet in the library and they sit around looking at the latest Tremere magazine, right? And right. they start sniping each other. Well, did you get the card that came in the cereal blood box this morning that taught you how to throw a fireball yet? No, you'll get there. You'll get there. And then they go back to reading, right? This was this is powerful. Like she walks away to me. Your door. I don't even know what she's about, but I don't want to fuck with her. I believe like, that uh, you're referring to Augustine. Yeah, it was. It's great. Yeah. It's great how that happened, and the whole chapter's filled with that. It was just the flavor and fluff of the greatest of chantries, and they did it right. I, I got to admit that uh, the, really the only redeeming quality to to this chapter for me is the Tremere and the way the Tremere are portrayed. Like I remember the first time I read the Vampire the Masquerade book, and just like reading through the clans, I was like, "Man, that clan Tremere, they sound interesting. I'd like to know more about them." And like. Reading that part of the chapter, I kind of like, I had a little flashback. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I like the Tremere so much. Like, the Tremere are pretty cool, actually. Yep. They're a badass claim. However, this entire chapter to me just smacks of module, and that's why I don't really like it. I think this this chapter, 
suffers from a lot of the things that the previous book suffered from all the way through it. And in, in some cases, I think that they're actually even worse. Um, you know, I just, like I said, reading the little blurbs, like the Arcanum agents, and I was like, maybe I'm wrong about what the Arcanum are, but I thought that the Arcanum were hunters incidentally. They were hunting for knowledge. And like the agents that they made in here are just top to bottom badasses. Well, that's because the Arcanum has, has sections to them, right? Uh-huh. And, and the people who have to retrieve have to battle these denizens in the world of darkness. Right. But they have the knowledge of weaknesses of these creatures, too. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna, if they have to step up, they are not going to be easy to roll. Right. Because they're going to have some stuff. Now, that said, I... Oh, man. I, can, can we just get to the graveyard? Because <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. that I could find, I could yes, find yes, cool yes. stuff to talk about, but this whole graveyard... So everyone's meeting. Everyone's trying to meet for one thing. This is... Dracula's axes. This is, uh, and the reason he's looking uh, for, well, the book. The book uh-huh. that Nate mentioned, you should know the brief history behind it. Bottom line, there is a cult. Mm-hmm. And this cult was a bunch of satanic hullabaloo that made this, uh, the Kapala books. And their grand plan was to spread the knowledge of Kapala everywhere. Mm-hmm. With the birth of the printing press, use that, get all that out. Get it everywhere so that someone somewhere will be successful in freeing Kapala. Right. Now, they get caught by the Inquisition, and the Inquisition do what the Inquisition do. They literally are to fe everything, right? Right. Those guys get burnt. They burn the books. They get rid of everything. They thought they destroyed everything except two spots they mention, one being the basement of the Vatican and the other one in the hands of the Arcanum. Right. Right? That's where they already got a copy, right? So keep that in mind. However, that's, that's not all. Someone somewhere has gotten a hold of some stuff, and these books are rumored to be going to um, this this cafe, right? All these factions. Because if I tell you why, not only does it ruin this chapter, but mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just getting us there. So, right. Basically, this book resurfaces, and uh, what is it? Uh, Radu reaches out to the players, and says, "Hey, I know your coterie was big in stopping Kapala, and it was interested in it. This book's going to be here at this cafe. Please go." All right. Reason for the players. There it is. Right. However, Dracula's axes hear about it. Now, this is the part that bothered me. Okay. Dracula is renowned as being the guy who he's done several things. First off, he's become a Kuldonic master, and he's oh, revolutionized master. the way Kuldonic sorcery is used. Now, I, I I literally wanted to put the book down at that point. Uh huh. Because if you've researched and read all of Kaldun and how they released it. And it might be because I'm tainted at this point, because <laughs> V20 on brings back the mysticism Coldun was supposed to have. Right. Right. It wasn't just the other worded pronounced thaumaturgy. There was some spirituality to it. Yeah. And they had it, but except for whatever reason, when Dracula gets it, it's like, oh, he re- he revised it. And when? When did Tepe's <laughs> impaling everybody suddenly sit back and actually, I will now touch into the spirits of the land. I... I, I... I, I got to say, like, as you're describing this, one of the things that popped into my head was reading the older books, reading the uh, earlier material, it, f- it felt to me like Dracula was a character that inhabited that world, the world of darkness. And it, as these books go along, they become more like fan fiction of Dracula. Like, yes. And, and that really kind of turned me off in a lot of ways where I was like, he's not that cool. He's not that cool. If you, if you ask Bob who Dracula is, Bob will tell you the simplest of answers. That is, in your game, read the history of Vlad Tepe's, 
understand the curse that he goes through in Bram Stoker's writing, and somewhere in the middle, you will have a realistic interpretation of the Dracula they splat stats to mm-hmm. in Children of the Inquisition, and run with that feeling. Because <clears throat> in here, they still bring it up. Not only did Dracula master Kuldanic sorcery and, and send the axes out to retrieve the book he somehow missed, uh, that's, what, that's what they're going there for. But Dracula also, during this time, was invited by Hardestat to come have a chat about him moving to London. And please, rent, buy, you should own too, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula to learn what happened then. Right. Right? Because that's the story this Irishman wrote up and and broke the masquerade, but didn't break the masquerade. Right, but like made what? it better. <laughs> but that right, right. But that's the but that's the whole take on it. Dracula's both mad and relieved. He didn't ruin the world of darkness. And then they go through here to say apologetically, he's he now lives in the shadow of the greatness he became from the right. No, he's just Dracula. Make make up what he is, like yeah. to you, and keep it there. And they more or less say that, but it's like they're trying to apologize for using a character they should have used because it's the reason their game is even being ran. Right. So that's uh, that's that. But other than Dracula, the Sabat. <laughs> Radu brings in the Sabat to bring it in. Really, Vikos does, but that's neither here nor there. Basically, Sabat won it. Cam wants it. Players want it, and Dracula wants it. Those are the factions, right? Right. Now you now you get to this chapter, and uh, you're like, okay, cool, opera, fine, set, cool. Now we got to meet at this graveyard, right? Because they keep they're, they're they're like, if you do this, just jump to scene seven with the with the graveyard. Go go straight to the graveyard. Go straight to the graveyard. Don't pass go. Collect two hundred dollars. Go to the graveyard. <laughs> I have to have to pause. I forgot. We forgot about the Malkavian update. Did we? <laughs> Did we though? <laughs> well, really quick rendition. Uh, the Malkavians step into the Victorian age from being these the crazy people. Yeah. Now they have dominate. <laughs> right. Instead of them just running around raving and, and whatever, like the prophecy, yes. the fish are real, you know, as they try to paint them like they're oh, they go from crazy people to actually being civil mm-hmm. and to understanding what they have because Freud's here. Right. And Lord Adolf Nonsuch. Uh huh. And, and this is and this was another jump to shark moment. When I saw this, like, wait a minute, Freud is tending to all these people and showing them that they don't. Oh, psychology is real. Therefore, these people aren't insane. Therefore, there are ways to treat them. Therefore, Clan Malkavian can wear a tux. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, fine. I'll, I'll go with it. Mm-hmm. But the, the non-such guy was where I was like, and he's and he's what? His derangement is he's upset? He's a pyromaniac? <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. what, is, what is this story here? What is this? <laughs> what it is is he's short-lived. Yeah, yeah. I, he's I, one, he's I one match away from being great. <laughs> so so uh now that we've jumped ahead a little bit um i've been watching uh, uh stranger things you know the third season just came out yeah and uh you know i've been watching them trying to like get a D game going and i was reminded of it when they got into the graveyard because did you did you catch the 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 module uh moment in here no. Okay. So which, which one? So there's a point where they're in the graveyard, right? And uh, the ground starts to rumble, and all of the the Sabat shovelheads start to pull themselves out of the ground, and you know they're trying to fight. Uh, what's his name? Mitru the Hunter, and he's just super fast with his celerity. And there's this line, and I'll read it. It says, um, "Give the conspiracy an instant to react, then surround them with undead neonates clawing their way from the grave." Frenzy roll, difficulty eight. And I, I, I set the book down, and I was just like, all right. Like, I almost didn't finish it. 
<laughs> you're right. You're right. I, gla- I glazed over it. Yeah. I there just was, was several- like, I can't. I can't even do it. Can we discuss Mitra real quick? Yeah. And why he wins this fight and ends the game? Nobody mm-hmm. gets past this? Because he's got Celerity 7. He's 6-gen, Celerity 7, 6, Dexterity. He has Obfuscate level 5. This guy has more stats to disappear and stake your whole damn group before the round's done. And and juggle. Right. And he's juggling corpses by the end of it. Doesn't he and, have and, a... Isn't he, like, um, accompanied by a bunch of Gangrel minions? Uh, yes, there are Dracula's Gangrel minions who all have Protean 3. Like, their stats... And right. I don't know what you guys are thinking. You guys are killing us with stats. But no, Mitru's also yeah. 7 centuries old. Right. That's what you're failing to understand. And he's got you in an ambush, and he has the ability to end you. Right. And, and this and, book plays him like he's a villainous neonate. Right. And he, he uh, you know, because he's got a, um, a Path of the Beast of two, right? So he's very bestial. He's very, like, he's very difficult to pin down. And if he starts to lose, he'll flee. But hold up. I just need to let you all know. If you put a seventh generation, a, I'm sorry, a sixth generation Gangrel in my hands with Celerity 7, Fortitude 5, Protean 5, and Obfuscate 5, we're going to have problems. There's That's, people not walking away from that fight just off of happenstance. Game over, man. Game over. That's, yeah. that's all it is. Because you guys are distracted, right? Think of how this ambush is set up. Uh-huh. He's completely hidden, waiting for his moment. Right. And, you're, and the horde descends and you're all over you. Whereas you're being grappled... He's just launching arrow and staking. Yeah. Launching arrow and staking. Because I have Dracula's Gangrel minions who are also throwing ag damage, and I'm just hiding in the shadows, throwing arrows into your heart. Like, I don't know who survives the Gangrel massacre here. I, I don't know either. what type of... I, I tried thinking of what badass I could make, and it would have to be another Gangrel who just immediately goes, form of mist. Right. Chapter right. over. I want no part of this. Y- your players better hope they invested in some fortitude. That's all I got to say. I'm throwing a majesty so I don't get attacked. Okay. <laughs> right. That That's it. That's all you can do. Right. We're right. not at a neutral point, but then Mitru stakes you. But that, but like, then how they write how, like, Mitru, when he flees, he, like, runs all the way to this church. Can I break that? You know, he runs all the way to the church and jumps through the window. To he get runs the- like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, yeah. You know, the first off, it is the Ravno, or no, excuse me, not the Ravno, the Campania, because right. uh, I don't want to use the word that we shouldn't. That they, comes by. We could make it a drinking game how many times they use that word in this book, too. Right. And he, and he comes right by on this, uh, this whole thing, uh, the Campania travel wagon, and it just so happens to go by as Mitru rushes to it, jumps and grabs it, and now the players can't catch him. It's the Victorian age. It's a cart. <laughs> Fast right. Timmy, who's hungry enough, is right. catching the cart to like, get the grapes from his lord. Okay? Basically, how they write it is he's playing like he's playing murder games. He's running in, using his celerity so fast. He's, he's got celerity seven. They like make it a point to emphasize like holy shit, how fast is he? But he's like running and grabbing individuals and draining them while he runs in celerity, and you follow him by the trail of dead bodies. <laughs> Just throwing them on the side, you know, having a quick one to use. I was like, yeah, that's very hunter-like of him. That's definitely, you know, a, oh, he's a, it's a great it's use glorious. of his disciplines. It's glorious. This is Mitru, the protector of the land. Don't forget, he originally ambushed the players because they were assaulting the land. Right. And he was defending the people. But the thing is, they can't have it both ways, right? They're like, what kind of game are you running? He's got a celerity of seven, but he was embraced in 1190. He, he was embraced when your characters were embraced, when your PC characters at the table were embraced. So they're going to be of relatively equal power level to him. So, and depending. Right. 
it's it's just like it, they're trying to tell two tales here, and it's like, did you forget you have a table of of elders? Like, wh- what are you doing? Come on. They did this before. They did this last book when we had to kill the last Cappadocian, mm-hmm. and they thought fuck. Excuse me. They thought Anson mm-hmm. was going to be the you know you're going to stop him, right? You, yeah, nah, it ain't happening. And I know what you're thinking. Bob, it's not about the power. It's about the story. Yeah. It is about the story. You tell a better one as a, yeah. a storyteller. But the story off, the story's not good. First off, there's no reason Mitru can't have a good encounter with the players. Right. There's no reason why Mitru can't come to this graveyard, and when the Sabbat jumps out and they all start attacking, Mitru doesn't start killing the Sabbat. And then meets with the players and lets them know that Lord Dracula sent him here, these gangrel, to take this book. But that would be an insult to you. For what happens, and for me to simply state candid, I either have to find a way to take it from you before you leave London, or we come to an agreement, I could take the book now, and we could see if someone can copy this book, and I could leave and be on my way, it serves my interest and still serves yours. And if the player's like, what is Dracula needed for? Mitra says candidly, I don't know what my lord needs it for, but he will have his book. You give them the opportunity to trick me true or to seduce me true or whatever they need to do to make it not, not combat shock all the mm-hmm. way to the church. Because the best part that Nate's waiting to tell you is when he gets to the church, what does me true do? Uh, me true jumps through the big stained glass window because he's just dead set on getting that book. And the church is a is a massive church and it radiates faith. And it radiates faith that's so potent, his ass comes running out in the most comedic thing I've ever seen, just on fire. Just a blaze, right? So he jumps through the window, bursts in the flame, jumps back out of the window. <laughs> right. And runs into the it's night. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And it's it's a church full of hunters and true faith. And, um, you know, hopefully there's some individuals in the in the conspiracy that are... Uh, of humanity seven or greater, because then they could just sneak in, right? They're not affected by the true faith because they're not, they don't have a two dot in their path, right? Like, so, so, and here's the thing the true faith of the building radiates, people right. could feel it. And how it's supposed to be is even him getting closer would start like to sweat blood mm-hmm. or to feel, you know, incredible shame as he even approaches it. To even think to jump through the window is laughable that that was even written in. Because that's to say that, you know, he's no no vampire the storyteller run is affected by the same rule your players are for some reason, right? It has to be universal to be digestible, to be believable. And it's not believable. And he even writes in here that, don't worry, it's okay if Mitri dies here. We said he was going to die. Right. In his destiny. Just, he could die now by the players. Can he? I dare your troop to go, whatever poor bastard hunts him down. He, by the way, he only took an egg. Right. Ag or two jumping through I, it. No, I, it was two. Yeah. It was as if he was fully on fire during the day. Right. Which I looked it up. It's three ag. Right. He still has a fortitude of five. He didn't die jumping through the window. Oh, he ain't happy. No, no, yeah. For sure. But you're gonna but you're gonna run after him? Yeah, you one, if you catch him with celerity of seven, bravo on you. My guess is your brew high ass thought this through. However, when you do catch the gang girl and now you've cornered him and he has nothing left to lose. It's just you facing him with all his ag dealing, super speed, and disappearing, right? He has every tool to see you dead, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's cheating, right? That you get to know in advance. No player would ever know this facing off against him. But the fact is, as a storyteller, you have to now pretend, right? Oh, I guess he's so weak you do kill him. And I've been at games like that. God help a storyteller who looks at me and goes, oh, man, you chase him in, you just kill him. He dies. Now we go back to everybody else. 
Because I want to flip the table. <laughs> you just told me I what I want to do. Yeah, you just told me I don't matter. Right. You're not important what you're doing right now. Yeah, whatever you win. But I'm over here now with people who yeah. want to follow my story. Yeah, sure. I, I feel gonna... like that that's kind of like a tale for a different podcast, but it bears mentioning on this one. Like, don't lessen. Like, this is a rivalry that's 800 years or 600 years, whatever, in the making. Like, don't lessen that. Everybody you know? has wanted a piece of Mitra after that, after that first incident. Right. Right. And they say have at it, but I think it could be done better. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Definitely. That's what Nate's saying. Definitely. It just it smacked of comic relief to me and didn't, uh, it just, you know, it was very, it, I had flashbacks to like first edition modules and I was just like, <laughs> this is not, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I just didn't feel like it was very good. And the Arcanum is here too. Mentioning the Arcanum piece Nate said, we kind of already touched on that, but it's very true. They're here with all the needs to do in some, anybody and they have a book. Yeah, and in every one of these books, I, I another criticism, I feel like they just paint the Sabbat, the black hand, is just, like, very comical and just, like, um, very cookie-cutter, and I, I feel like it does them a major disservice. It's it's ridiculous, I mean, because we know what they become, and honestly, consider when this book's released. Yeah. Compared to everything else, you know, everybody else felt it, too. It's why they got better and better material. We will, I'll, I'll defend it that much. But the uh, point is, is that that's, that's the chapter. Yeah. Not a big right, fan of it myself. Right. Uh, the ending is uh, to be redone uh, for if you're going to run this, in my opinion, or run it as is. If you think it'd be hysterical to have a jumping, burning vampire running through Vienna, uh, <laughs> that works, right? Take that, Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Cover that up, bitch. <laughs> right. Um, all so, right. So moving right along uh, to chapter three, the accounting. Um. He, Here's the thing. Uh, I personally, I feel, um, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, I feel like this is a this is the reason to read this book. It's that's, the only right that that that's my that's my opinion about this chapter. Um, I'm just going to give a quick synopsis, but I'd love for you to just go you know in deep, however much you'd like. But basically, um, we know in the grand scheme of the world of darkness that the Tremere anti tribute are destroyed. Um, They've alluded to how and why, and this is the story. This is the story of where we find out that Solit is really a villainous bastard and that Tremere uh, is sharing his body with the soul of the Antediluvian. And he's doing it because like, the soul of the Antediluvian is just engaging in a further jihad. And this is how it rolls out. And and honestly, that's the that's the best synopsis ever. It's it's a war. Right. It's a war that culminates over centuries since Tremere tried to diabolize him. No, it I reveals. Have, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. I was just going to ask you. Um, uh, and th- again, this is kind of like a spoiler, but it's been out for almost twenty years now. Um, why does I? And I must have missed this in all of my reading, but why does Tremere destroy the Tremere into tribute? Well, the reason why the Tremere Tribute get destroyed, according to this chapter, that's a question I often had, has everything to do with the fact that he has no use for them. Mm-hmm. They are not loyal to him. And you got to understand the relationship he had with, even better, remember how I told you when originally they had Tremere, he ordered Gortrix be brought to him? Yeah. And the players escort him, and Vikos gets involved, and they bring him up, and right. Tremere right, does the big antediluvian stare. 
And then Gorchuk's cringes as he's taken back into the Chantry. Right. Right. Solid takes over Tremere and releases Gortrix. Yeah, okay, makes sense. So okay. when Anha- like they say Gortrix escaped, you you don't escape Tremere. Right. If he wants you, that's that. But if Solid wanted to intervene, we already saw this happening when right. he sent Gortrix originally to France. Right. Now, why did Solid send him to France? Well, that's because it starts the downfall of what he thought would be the end of the Tremere as well as the beginning of Gehenna. Right. Because he kickstarts the Inquisition when Gortrix goes to France. Right. right, he foresaw that that would happen. That's why Tremere doesn't like him, and then uses Gortrix again, kicks him away. Right, uh, who knows what his hope was? But we know Gortrix is like son of a bitch. I'm getting rid of every influence you ever had on me. I got the vaniculum, the blood bonds gone. Sure, I got the mark of betrayer. Deal with it. I got all the means. If I ever see you again, you're dead, old man. Yeah, your days are numbered. And he has these badasses with him. Well, Tremere knows his days are numbered. Right. And he knows because Solid's sitting inside him trying to tear him apart, right? As just spiritually tear him apart. Shamir can sense right, this. Right, And And uh, the other thing, too, that they, they mention in here as the story sort of unfolds is, like, uh, y- you've been to the Tremere Chantry, right? And and it's 100 years later, and nobody's there. Right. You know, the, right. Whole, the whole shit and shebang has been shut down, and they emphasize to you that you know, you you go and you meet Etrius, and it's not at the place you were before, and nobody's allowed to go there. And why is that? Well, you, you know, it's because uh, we know that Solit can control anybody that he's near, potentially. So Tremere's like, nope, not going to let that happen. Right, and, and Tremere made this elaborate way to lock himself away. Right. On that, too, right? He had the tomb with the intricate locks and put in place he had the silver latticed black stake stabbed in his heart mm-hmm. uh, to kind of keep him in place and everything else and Etrus had to set all that up right right and Etrus had to move his body too so but what he realizes is there's writing too that Etrus had to go by and he put the writing in this book i won't quote verbatim but basically it's excerpts mm-hmm. it's tremere stating why he could feel himself slipping and how he made this ritual that allows him to stave off uh, excuse me, uh, Solid controlling him right. while he has control of his body. And right. this, and with this time, he writes this letter, slips it to Etrius. Etrius helps him get the components for a specific ritual that's going to enable him to to survive. And that's that's what he has, and right. they conspire for it. But also, it requires Etrius sacrificing, well, being willing to serve again and allow Tremere to inhabit his body for a time. Right. And so Etrius and Tremere believe uh, excuse me, uh, Solid is ignorant to this. There's no way he can know about what they're doing because right. they arrogantly believe in their magic. Well, of course they're wrong, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> right. Basically, Tremere, his spirit, right. he leaves his body, and he joins with Idris's spirit. Right. But they both know the danger, and the danger was, you know, all mythical, but as mages must, they step in territory undiscovered. And it was, can he sustain himself as he was sustained with uh, Solid? And the answer is yes. Etrius is compatible enough for a time to keep him out of it. And they go through a grand conspiracy to get another member of the Council of Seven, because it has to be another member of the Council of Seven, uh, near him so where he could take over that person's body. And of course they think of Goratrix. Mirland right. is vastly too valuable. Anyone else is vastly too valuable because they're already bound to, to do Tremere's bidding. So it has to be Goratrix that son of a bitch escaped. Right. And, and I, I, to me, to me, honestly, the way that this is written, uh, there was never a moment where I was like, that's ridiculous. Honestly, I felt like 
the way that they positioned this conspiracy just it it made perfect sense like Goratrix like obviously would be a smug bastard too right like he survived this long and now you finally come to my ways and and I don't want to ruin it because it's worth the read but I I honestly thought that this is the best this is the best part of this book this is probably the best part to me this is like one of the most um impressive introductions of your your players characters into like actual things that matter in the world of darkness now the the important thing to this and the last chapter i'll ramp it up is that this is all about antediluvians Mm -hmm. what you've been going through has never not been about antediluvians right i I know you're thinking kapala (laughs) oh man all right so anyway uh to make this a, a an up and dunk just to get you there um their plans come to fruition right you know we we know this anyway through other books, but Tremere, or excuse me, Etrus, uh, Etrus Tremere, if you prefer, encounters Goratrix. They trick Goratrix to open his mind to him. They complete the ritual, and Tremere takes over Goratrix's body. And Goratrix, who cares? Right. <laughs> they right? Basically, the job's like, done. If you're smart, you could put him somewhere else. But hey, you know, whatever. Leave it to you. They leave that to you because they're like, who cares? This is why Goratrix exists. And yes, we already reviewed the book where Goratrix is trapped behind a mirror. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I get that. So, but we're not going to run over there. We're over here now. Just keep that in mind. We're, we're over so, here now. <laughs> we're over here now. So uh, that's that's what's going on. And Goratrix goes, cool players. Guess, well, first he orders everyone out. Tells all the Tremere tribute to escort Etrius out of Mexico safely. Right? Because that's where it had to be. Goratrix said, you can meet me, Etrius. But here, that's part of the grand plot they have. Bob, that's weird. You didn't mention it at all. That's because it's in a book. You can read it again. It's not really worth noting. It's the breadcrumbs. Part right. of a lot of detail that you can enjoy. But for the review, yes, they end up in Mexico. And that's all well, good, and done. Uh, Gortrix then says, hey, cool. Um, help me do this ritual, players. In very elder fashion, in my opinion. Right. right? Very ancient, antediluvian-esque. Because right when he's in his body, he says, I could kill you all right here, right now, where you stand. Right. Or you can complete this ritual. Help me complete this and destroy the Chimera Anti-Tribute. I have no time yeah. for illusions. Honestly, that, yes. that's that's the one thing that I, I would do a little bit differently if it were happening at my table because I feel like just doing a callback to, you know, when uh, when Tremere showed himself at the, the little uh, tavern, you know, when they were tracking Goratrix, I think just a little nod to that, you wouldn't even have to say any words. You wouldn't even have to have dialogue and the players would be like, oh shit, we know who that is. Did you catch it though? They did throw that in there. I actually didn't, no. So they mention in here, it's brief, where he talks about looking at each of them, they could tell he's different. They feel a familiar burning sensation Oh yeah, uh, yeah. in their okay. body as he yeah. glances at each and every one of them. Yeah. Because at this point, believe it or not, Tremere's trying to befriend you. Right. So as he looks at you, it's like you only get a slight tingle this time. <laughs> right. right? That's yeah. it. But you're right. That's Play that up more, I agree. That would be be cool nuance, especially if it's the same group. And uh, But basically he says, let's go do this ritual. Now, why the ritual is cool, and I think worth our time to say it, is because everybody wonders how the ritual was done. Everyone assumes it's just Pillars of Ash and that was that. Eh. It goes into a lot of detail of involvement with the player characters having to be components in the ritual. Right. Tremere could not do this alone. And so as he goes about to start it and gets it there, there's these silver rings. I only say this because in Beckett's Shahad Diary, Beckett gets a silver ring given to him that allows him to walk through all the wards of the Chantry to get this far. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You See? sneaky devil. 
Now you know why you patron right. me, folks. But, but also, anyway. also, I, I uh, reading this and and all this information as another aside. I honestly feel like Tremere had the Vienna Chantry nuked. I, I feel like one hundred percent he manipulated the Second Inquisition to destroying the Chantry. Now I'm not in disagreement, but I didn't think it was Tremere. Right, I said mm-hmm. solid had it nuked. Right. Well, either of them could be could be accurate. Well, here's the deal, Etrius, right? Mm-hmm. Well, before we go on that vein, yeah. long story short, Shamir <laughs> does the ritual. All the anti tribute get brought in because they believe they're having a ritual. Con- and this is truthful. He tells them all, Goratrix, right? And they have to believe it's Goratrix. Tells right. all the Shamir tribute to come here. He's doing a ritual that's going to make it to where all the antis, all the Tremere tribute, Goratrix's house, mm-hmm. will be immune to the antediluvians rising up. Right. To come slay them all, and it's worth the time, and it's worth the survival of the Sabbat if they're here. Right. So they all come. That's how he gets them. And when they're there, part of the ritual is when they put the silver ring on and he instructs them to do, it renders them paralyzed. They cannot move. And when he completes the ritual, it firestorms the entire room, but only them... And uh, the, well, it does scorch the room, but none of the books. Right. None of the materials that are here. It's like it was effective because it's magic, right? I wondered that too and let it go. Vampires are flammable. Yeah, it's a, it's we'll a ritual. I, I, thaumaturgy explains all. You did a ritual, it doesn't hurt them. It only hurts Tremere's. I get, I get it. And it was super cool because now when you read Becca Jadar and you go through what he did, the writers really not only really did their research, no shit, Bob, uh, but they tied it together real well. It's like a continuation of that. Where he gets to go back and wonder what happened. Touching a pile of ash that's shaped like a human falls to the ground. Man, he's got a silver ring on. Right? This is deep knowledge. Cool things to have to even kind of sift through in the aftermath. But what's the most important thing out of here? It's what Gortrix does afterward. Right? When he makes it back to the Chantry in Vienna. Right? And this is now Tremere and Gortrix's body. When When Tremere makes it back, he immediately goes to where his body is. Right. And he does all the rituals to open up the locks and the intricate things, whatever. And when he opens the case, there's nothing in it. Right. Only a snapped black stake that he had put in his own heart is there lying in the ground. And he could hear the laughter of Tremere, the warlord, as he he's was referred yep. to. Yep. And that's and that's it. And that's that's the that's the chapter. What's cool about it is everything we've said, but I like the fact that an antediluvian, this is just further proof I saw it's a bastard. Right. And, and honestly, I, I like, I love this chapter because they do something that is so rare in, in these vampire, the masquerade books, they tell you what actually fricking happens. Yeah. They, they, they're not, they're not like, Ooh, let's leave it to your imagination. Ooh, could have been, that could have. No, they're like, bitch, solid's a bad, a bad, bad fella. And Tremere it underestimated diablerizing an antediluvian. It seems to be fairly common amongst the upstarts. It's a it's a good way to look at it and go at it and to be about it. And I wasted time with words to say it was awesome. Yeah. I really do think that chapter was everything. Yeah. Um and I think it's significantly better than the next one. <laughs> Which Yeah. I, I um even, I don't either. I got uh, your synopsis for the next one. We're pretty good. You go for it, sir. It's all in your right. So now we're in the modern, right? Yep. yep. Modern esque. Two thousand players are all to, players are all together, you know, they have their reasons for meeting up. Great, it's done. And uh, basically, I'm going to give you the reason. Uh, it's a bio. It's a nuclear threat. Yep. It's a nuclear biological warfare. The people are done playing, and and here's why. I'm going to tell you the story of Kapala real fast. 
Nosferatu falls in love with Torador. And they're lovers. Yeah. And Nosferatu had a slight scar on his face. Really nothing. He was the most beautiful creature in existence. His lover was Torador. She too was the most beautiful creature in existence. Except she knew he had a mark. And one night, in a night of passion, she gently referred to it as, Well, you're almost as beautiful as me. And touched the mark. And Nosferatu was like, You bitch. <laughs> I can't let that stand. And he goes and does some shit. Some other shit happens. Kane comes back and goes, oh, you vain bastard. Look what you did. You're now the ugliest thing on the outside. World hates you. I hate you. And your whole family's going to hate you, you ugly thing. Get out of here. <laughs> Sends him away. And he goes to Torador, like most men of that caliber and shallowness would. And he goes, red baby. Because that's what he looks like. It sounds like now. And Torador's like, what the hell are you? Get away from me. You know, talk to the hand. And now I have to cleanse it. And Nosferatu's like, I will pay you all back. You'll suffer, you'll rue the day. And Nosferatu goes on a pilgrimage. He goes below the ground in his pilgrimage and discovers Kapala. And he says, hey, Kapala in Transylvania, who for whatever weird reason likes to be in the ground all the time, because that's where Zemis found you. Now I found you, and you're mine. And oh, I have a nefarious plan. Kapala's like, but I'm trapped. And Nosferatu goes, nah, man, it's cool. You don't see it now, but centuries into the future, I will have nuclear war. Kapala, what's that? Oh, I got a surprise for you. It's just fire and stuff. I don't know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Go, shh, go sleep. Just sleep. Yeah, play with the Samis or whatever. Make a reason for a Transylvania Chronicle. All right. Yeah. Now, now to the bothered. It's closer to the bark, and Kapala's up, but he's like, hey, Nas, what's going on? And Nas goes, you know what's going on. You got enough juice, go launch my nukes. First nuke, we want you to have a go and hit exactly New York. Why Why New York? Because Tordor's sleeping under there. Uh-huh. Who? Tordor! My lady! <laughs> the one who spurned me, she's sleeping under there. Have the nuke hit and it'll kill everybody and have the biological missile that shoots off that nuke go and hit somewhere else. Just because. What? What? Huh? Yeah, it's great. Do it. I'm a demon. I'm going to do it, bro. Totally do it. This is my idea. Okay. All right. We're doing it. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, what's the second part of that? Well, not only does the nuke have to hit there, we also want to make the biological missiles hit wherever solid is. Right. Right? Some nonsense like that because we want to do that. Wait a minute. Solid, Zemis, Torador. Uh, who's really under New York? Oh, the Zemis Antediluvian. Wait a second. So we're just nuking for... What is going on with this chapter? Meanwhile, what are the players doing? Looking at the storyteller? I'm supposed to stop a nuke? (laughs) Right. Right. But the best part of the options, like, uh, of what you... you, So you get get Dracula's sword again, because that dude cannot keep a handle on his sword. At all. Dracula can't, man. Dude, he cannot. And then you get this, this, like, we get, for whatever weird reason, we get um, uh, Kindred of the East... They, that's thrown in there, but also with no stats, like doesn't matter. But wait then, a minute, he's thrown in as the grandest MacGuffin of MacGuffins, right? Right? Because remember, he's in there in case you don't use the Dracula sword. <laughs> right, if right. your coterie by now doesn't realize what a plot bomb it is to have Dracula's sword in this chronicle in this game, just open the door. Got any puns just, intended just, there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just oh. so basically, on. the way that the way that this was interpreted to me is, you get one of two choices: you can either free Kapala, and then Kapala doesn't nuke places, or you you fight Kapala, and then like a bunch of nukes get dropped. And I'm like, huh, that is a weird way to end this. 
It's the only two. Yeah, it seems really weird. Either free the demon and... Or nukes. It's just like, let's, all right. Let's not forget how Kapala comes at you, right? You're in the mm-hmm. missile silo, and he materializes out of the launch machine. He's just, hey, you've been right. reading about me. And, and the players go, yeah, I'm the one who's been deciphering your stuff. I've been reading about you. Yeah, do you know how I sound from reading my words? Yeah, I know exactly who you are. You sound just like you in my head when I was reading the words. I... I literally, if Disney could make this film, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I just saw the genie, you know, if he were evil, (laughs) just sitting there. He's like, I want to be a buddy. I got a friend like me, you know, just weird. And and then it was like, take Dracula's sword. He materializes a mini form of the web, but it's outside. It's just uh, just the way that they, they, they put this. The characters may attack. If they do, Kapala releases his hold on the missiles. They hit Beijing and Manhattan with consequences best left up to storyteller's imagination. Obviously, this is a fairly stupid thing to do. But then the alternative is you cut the ley lines and let Kapala free, which seems equally stupid to me. I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. I thought I thought Nosferatu had the Niktaku. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. What is the point of the Niktaku if he was just going to use the... Now listen. He's an antediluvian. <laughs> And he's got a multi-tiered plan. Sorry, the okay? Quaijin stats are in the book. I just blocked them from my memory. You had to. I wasn't even going to correct you. Just let it be what it was. So, so you got Nosferatu, and he goes, Hey, look, I, I, I'm not going to necessarily kill them in one master stroke planned centuries ago as the greatest of plans and the longest play in the history of game. That wasn't going to be the one to do it. I knew that. So I made the Niktaku to kind of... Go at all the Nas. And why? Because I didn't want those Nas to tip my hand to the other antediluvians. Their job was to be herded and, and assaulted and ate and be terrified of the Niktaku so I could run around and learn how to do nuke launch codes. You think that's easy? I was embraced before time was written down. I have no idea what a stopwatch does, let alone what button hits what to launch a nuke. Come on. Yeah. He, he knew the deal. I'm just saying. Jokes aside, it's hard to be a Nosferatu antediluvian, okay? Nick DeCure is still in play. He just went another direction. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know what to say about this chapter. This chapter makes my my brain hurt. It's it's a chapter that says pretty much how they ended the World of Darkness before to the, I think, absolute unhappiness and dissatisfaction of the fans of the genre. Yeah. Folks think it ended too soon, obviously. That's why V20 came back with such a bang. Folks felt that the way it ended wasn't homage or any sense to what they'd been reading before. Uh, They didn't appreciate it. Now, here's the deal, though, and the challenge. I've said this before. If you're an author, anything you put down is worthwhile and it's there. That's true. However, when you're being being endorsed uh, to produce something to allow others to use it to grand effect, one of those things is to pay... Well, I don't know. Uh, respect towards the material you wrote. <laughs> right. Right. And and by the way, if you didn't write at all, I get that challenge. You know, but you stand in the shoulder of giants, and I feel this went the opposite direction. Yeah. I, everybody I before you. If everybody before you was a buildup, we should. When we're all trying to reach the clouds. We should ever be moving up. So that means that the cool thing last time pays homage to the legacy before, and then that builds in, and then that builds in. But what you don't do is something that you've seen at any Gen Con LARP ever in the history of ever. Right? And, and, and that's that's my big issue with it, too, is that stuff like this 
teaches people that like fighting demons in underground nuke bunkers is like the acceptable way. Like that that's that's like how this game should be ran. And to me, that's not a bad game. It's just not a good vampire the masquerade game. Or it's weird, right? Because on one end you tell them, oh, it's about the story. It's about the story. Well, if it's going to be about the story, it should be about a great story that everyone can have a hand in and everybody can have a part and it's meaningful to the individuals playing. This is writing that's meaningful to the people who wrote the story, not to the people to play it. Yeah. Because where do the players come in in all this? Where do yeah. they matter in all this? You know, you want to say that they can have a hand in changing events at the same time. Eh, reference our comment about Dracula Sword. Do you? Right, right. Right? right? I mean, that's... That's why I hate modules. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do, too. And and to me, the, the big issue I have with this particular book is that the three chapters seem completely disjointed and they don't really flow together well. I think that the, the Tremere, the saga with the Tremere antediluvian, I think that's great. I think it, it would even be very fun to play through with the characters as they've gone through the Chronicles, but the other two, I just feel like they could be left out. They don't, I don't feel like they add anything to the story. And I honestly don't think it's a very good ending. I think you as a storyteller, you, you might even be benefited just ending the Transylvania Chronicles with the, 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 the transition of Tremere from his own body to the body of Goratrix. I think that's a great way to end it. It, that's a fantastic way to end it, to start from there. And you know who agrees with you? And those who did V20. And that's because you don't hear anything about a nuke. No. Anyone trying to do a strike. You don't hear about the Kapalas dance around the world free to wreak havoc anywhere, nowhere, no how. Yeah. And I promise you, I promise to heckle the book that I see producing V5 that talks about Kapala's new nightclub where he sits wearing a top hat talking about the time he tricked the nefarious coterie that over seven centuries couldn't get the job done and stopping him. <laughs> are, wait, are you talking about something real? <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. No, I just, there's nothing. There's nothing that's coming about. But like, <laughs> that's what I mean. That's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like, yeah. if they kept it under their hat to go, what about Kapala? Great villain. Did not over really. the chronicles. Let's bring him out again. Nah, nah. Let's not. Yeah, no. Nah, let's I'm, not. I'm over it. I'm done with Kapala. Um, I guess uh, I guess it's time for the last words. I, I, I would say personally, um, I, I have like kind of a middling perspective on the Transylvania Chronicles as a whole. I think it's kind of like a C average. Um, the first two books I liked. The third one I think is crap. This one, you know, one third decent. Eh, we'll call it one half decent. So I, I say all in all, it would probably be very fun to sit down and play through this with the right set of uh, circumstances, the right storyteller, and the right players. That's my opinion. I think it's fun to go through the greatest events of the world of darkness to help shape it. I think it's good to go from, you know, back in the day to now to give a sense of perspective. And I think the changes in it are good. But I think the very fact that you're... Uh, this should be the backdrop spine of what the players are going through uh, to where the most ridiculous... Basically trim the fat yeah. and keep the healthier portions of the meal to hand out to your players. Now, I do think that if you choose to do this in a live-action format, um, and that's a lot of people have told me where they did it, it must have been a storyteller that lightning hit their brain too that focused on just the player characters and what they did. I've never heard, let me tell you about my character story, that started by talking about the great campaign that was lined up. <laughs> it, it always starts, 
here's my character, here's the idea for him, and here's what they did, right. and here's the events I went through. That right. tells you everything an author needs to focus on. It has nothing to do with this grand episodic tale of antediluvian anything, unless it's through the eyes of the people playing the game. Yeah, I, I've actually uh, personally always thought, maybe this is an admission, but I've always personally thought that these like world-spanning uh, antediluvian tales were like the least interesting part of the game, quite frankly. Um, I think that the personal politics, the personal horror, all of those things are great. And I think that the backdrop of the Transylvania Chronicles can make for a very great game that takes you from, you know, being a fledgling neonate in the dark ages all the way to being a powerhouse elder and watching how the change of culture and society can change your character. But this antediluvian stuff to me is just like, it's not my cup of tea. N nothing against anybody that does enjoy it. Great. Just not for me. Here's the thing. An antediluvian should be something magnificent. It should be something, um, if it's chthonic, make it chthonic. Meaning, if it's going to be mysterious and too, you can't fathom how they think or how they move or how they behave, and all you have are these book transfers from the elders who serve them, then you should play them accordingly. They should never be encountered directly. It should always be something that is uh, left to interpretation, mystery, if you will. Slow played, definitely. And if they're going to have fantastical plans to wipe something out in the future, um, just note, your players can never know that. Right. Never make a book that someone could pot about later on regarding the use of your <laughs> antediluvians in a module because that's, that's the only reason why we're heckling it. I think you would have a different podcast entirely if how they intended it in their head, it was played, if we had to play through it unknowing. Yeah, I, right. Yeah, honestly, the worst parts of this book are the parts that are the most module esque for me because they just they smack of like I don't know, just um, like a bunch of kids sitting around the table, you know, rolling dice trying to beat the big baddie, and, and I just I'm not. And that's 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 the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Let's let's admit something: the vast majority of people who play game play to let go. And to just have a good old time. Right. And right. that's that's the point. So, however, this whole chronicle speaks of people trying to take that step forward and make their roleplay meaningful. Something right. more. And to tell a magnificent tale with the players right along with it. That I don't think it does that. No, I think, I think, it, I think it tries really hard and it, uh, in a lot of places it fails. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's, it's good to let you know what went on in the world of darkness and across four books. And it's, uh, it's good in parts. Uh, to even do <laughs> yeah, that much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, um, let's move on and uh, get to wrapping up this podcast. So the next book that we will be reviewing is everybody's favorite, Clan Book Bali. Woo! Yeah, so um, that's going to be one of those podcasts which are um, either half of people are going to hate the podcast or half of the people are going to like it. Um, but you know, to give a warning, it is a book that was, it's a black dog book and a lot of people have very strong opinions about it, but we're going to give you ours. We're going to reread it and, um, give you our perspective and, uh, um, it should be a good podcast. I'm looking forward to it because I, I actually like this, this clan book and I like the clan and yeah, so it'll be interesting to reread it for the first time in many years. And we all know I hate the clan, so it'll be good to see me fall in love with it all over again. <laughs> see, all I right. gave you both yeah. perspectives at once. It's Bob's smart. like, fuck the Bali. They're so stupid. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of things um, that I, I've been going back and revisiting lately where I'm like, oh, I like that. What? Where? Uh, there's a mouse in the living room. <laughs> Wrap up. They need us to go, folks. So yeah, <laughs> we got a mouse in our living room, so I gotta go. Hey, folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you enjoyed the podcast you just listened to, think about supporting us. For more podcasts, art, video, and gaming, go to utilitymuffinlabs.com. Follow our podcast on Twitter at 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook under our Utility Muffin Labs name, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thank you again for your support. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.